Yes, of course. Burl Bearer. <laughs> I've known a few writers who were rogues and vagabonds. And I'm Roger Moore. I didn't supply the microphone. I'm Uncensored, America's premier true crime podcast, now celebrating 14 irritating years of being the premier true crime podcast. I'm Burl Bear, Kevin M. Sullivan. Welcome back for the 115th time to the program. <laughs> Thank you, Burl. It's good to be here. You wound up probably the strangest career path of any man of God I've ever heard of. It is. It has been interesting, hasn't it? Ever since I fell headlong into the Bundy case, and it all happened by chance, <laughs> happenstance, if you if you will. When you got into this Bundy thing, I mean, after the first book, did you have any feelings of maybe this was going to not be good for you? No, I, you know, I was really glad to be finished with the book because it took me two and a half years to write. It was it was really like a marathon session. It was days and nights. So once I was wrapping the book up, I was very happy about that. And then when I sold the book within about, oh, I don't know, three or four weeks of having finished it, um, I sent out uh, to six different publishers uh, letters concerning, you know, what I had written and uh, some sample chapters. Um, and uh, it, it, was, it was grabbed up by McFarland uh, really almost immediately, and then another one tried to grab it up. A few days after, maybe about a week after McFarland, I said, well, I've already sold it. But when I was finished with I was glad to be finished with it. And I really did think it would, it would be, this thing with Bundy would begin to, and end there. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, you know, through the years, and that, it, it was published in 2009. Through the years, um, I remember one person asked me if, if, if if I wanted to co-author a book with them on maybe some murders that Bundy may have committed, and I didn't really want to go get back down into Bundy then, I said no, I appreciate it. I mean, we would have made some money, but I just said no, I don't think I want to. And then in 2015, because one of the people that I had dealt with had got in the case, somebody high up in the case had become fairly ill, and they've passed on now. But this was back in 2015. And another person that I knew had passed away, I thought, well, if I'm ever going to write what I would call a companion book to that, I think I'll do it now. And I was very fortunate when I wrote this second book, which I do call a companion volume. It wasn't, uh, you know, a, nearly as long as my first book, you know, The Bundy Murder. Well, that first one was, uh, was massive. Well, yeah, I mean, it was a pretty big book. Uh, it, it, I mean, there's other people, they write bigger books, but... But some people, but I think it was about 123,000 words. I mean, I remember when I wrote a the biography of Custer, not the, not the first one I wrote, personality study. The publisher actually asked me to keep it to about 80,000 words, so I did. Right. But but uh, so the other one was about 123,000. So anyway, uh, but but that second book, I found out a lot of new information. That uh, and interviewed a lot of new people that were ver- verifiable Bundy contacts for that second book, The Trail of Ted Bundy, Digging Up the Untold Stories. And so that was published, and that's done well. And then, you know, people people who re- read my books on Bundy, they they probably share word of mouth. It just goes, you know, it just it goes out there because I, my books do well, especially The Bundy Murders, A Comprehensive History, and it gets out there, and I've been on a lot of these documentaries. I've never contacted anybody. They always contact me. In fact, yeah, I just I just yeah. I just, shot, I just shot one uh, last week, 
And um, so it, it just through people keep contacting me, and that's what drives these additional books. I had in my files other people I had interviewed after the second book came out, and I, you know, I didn't know what to do with them, and and I thought, well, I'll, I'll hold on to their information, and then finally, I published a third one called The Bundy Secrets, and then right. eventually I had six altogether. Well, you know and, what? I yeah. I was listening listening to the third. To the, our interview with you when the third book came out, and mm-hmm. in that interview, I remember this. You go, "I'm done now. That's yes. it. I'm it's finished. a trilogy. <laughs> if the trilogy is complete, there'll be no more Bundy books. There will be no more. That is true, and I, I look, I, I look so silly now, but it's driven by other people. So it's the same thing happened when I got done with the sixth book. I said, "Now, really, I should be finished. I'm just really after about fourteen hundred pages." If you add all these books together, 1,400 pages, that is that's enough. It's just enough. And then within two weeks, I had three people contact me with their Bundy stories, two of which were um, authentic because I did some checking on them, and it's it just everything, everything was lining up. And uh, so I thought, well, you know what? With all this other stuff coming in and then another person contacted me, I said, maybe I'll do something called, you know, maybe something like Ted Bundy, The Yearly Journal. They won't be as uh, big as some of these other books, but but as stuff comes into me, uh, I'll, I'll take these interviews, I'll vet the people, and I'll put the information on the printed page, and then maybe I'll look into some other aspects of the case that maybe need a little bit deeper look. Uh, towards and and so I said, I'll run it by my publisher. You know, he he may not want to do it, but but we'll see. And if he says no, that's okay. But so I, I but I ran it past him. They liked the idea, and so this Tuesday, um, this new book it's about 147 pages. I'll be writing one of these every year as long as the new information comes in. And mm-hmm. um, and so it's 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 called Ted Bundy, the Yearly Journal, uh, Volume One uh, for 2022. And uh, so, but and, and I was uh, astounded because some of the information that came, has come out recently, one testimony in the last book, The Enigma of Ted Bundy, and then some of these testimonies that came out now have actually revealed certain things that I didn't, I didn't see it coming. And what really? that was, yes, it was amazing. In other words, I found out in, uh, when I was doing the Enigma of, of, of Ted Bundy, there's a woman named Susan Milner. She lived very close to Bundy in Utah at 565 First Avenue. She was just a few blocks away. She got married on September 10th in the temple there. And, it was probably later in September. Could it be the first couple of days of October? But she's thinking it was it was like late September that she got, had like a little tiff with her husband, and she just t- took a walk and, and ended up just sitting on a swing about a block away in like a schoolyard. And he pulled up and asked her to go for a ride, and there was a fence between them. Because uh, the schoolyard was fenced, and right. he had his, his arms up on him, and 
he asked her, and she said no. He, then he tried to coax her into doing it a little bit, and she said no. And he said, well, he he just tapped his kind of fist a couple times on the fence. He said, okay, and then got back in his VW and left. Now, that was in September. Now, he moved to – he didn't even arrive in Utah in Salt Lake until the 3rd of September, 1974, in, in the early morning hours. And he left – went back home to Washington State uh, to bring – he had brought a lot of stuff with him to school there, but to his apartment, but he, he needed a truck. He had a truck at home that he had purchased. And he came, he flew home in the middle of the month, and I think he was there a day or two or whatever. And then he drove back, and you could see his gas receipts where he and his brother Glenn had stopped. He brought his brother Glenn, and he helped him move all this furniture in. And then, and then after all that was done, Glenn flew back. At the same time, he had to enroll in school, so he was a pretty busy bee, as they would say, during mm-hmm. that during that month. Well. Nobody knew of any until this Milner's story came out. It surprised me that uh, he was hunting so close to his um, the, the the place where he was living. And you know, one would think if they're normal, if I'm going to abduct women, maybe I should get out of my uh, immediate yeah, area. Yeah, get out of the just, original neighborhood. Yeah, go somewhere else because if, it, if something goes wrong, then maybe I can get away and get back to where I live. And you know. They won't mm-hmm. have known me there. So anyway, so that story came out. Well, lo and behold, uh, when I got done with it and the sixth book was published, one of those contacts that I told you about where I got uh, three and t- two were valid, and then mm-hmm. I got another one later, but, but the first of those three and two of them were valid, one of the valid ones was a lady that I, was, uh, that, that, that I got introduced to uh, and she and her her friend had gotten an apartment. Uh, they had moved from, uh, I think it was Jacksonville, Florida, come to uh, Utah just that summer of 1974, before Bundy was there, and about five blocks away from where Bundy lived, but in the same general area, they had a first-floor apartment. And one day Bundy knocked on their door and uh, they and and I talked I talked I talked to uh, the the main woman. Her name is Frida Aid, uh, and she's got a great memory. And I've spoken to the daughter of the other woman, and both of their stories are the same. I think Frida remembers a little bit more. But they say this guy came there, who they later identified as Bundy. They they from from you know the newspapers a year later after he was arrested. But mm-hmm. <clears throat> but they said. And this is classic Bundy. This is just how he spoke. They answered the the one you know lady answered the door. The other lady came to the door and looked out. He said, "Oh, excuse me." And that's the way Bundy was. He would say, "Excuse me, ma'am," or "Excuse me, miss," or "I'm sorry to bother you." He's very polite. Right. And he said, he described. He said he's looking for a woman in their building. It was a brownstone, and it was pretty close to downtown now from where they 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 lived. Um, and and they said she's you know she's tall or whatever and she's got long dark hair. The, the way he described her, they they knew who he was talking about, but they didn't know her name. But he said, "Well, I'm a law student, and and so is she at the University of Utah, and I've got some notes 
that I had borrowed from her, I was wanting to give them back. And she, and so, so uh, you know, one of the women said, well, look, I can take them and give them to her when we see her. And he said, no, no, she'll be in class tomorrow. I'll go ahead and give those to her then. And so when, you know, he was just very polite. And, and Frida told me, she said, I'm a real extrovert. So it's a, I'm surprised I didn't invite him in for dinner. And they mm-hmm. were able to see what kind of car he drove. And um, they would say later that they saw the car in the neighborhood a lot. So, ah. um, yeah. And so anyway. Cruising. Cruising for burgers. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And, and so and so here's the thing. And, and, you know, a lot of people think that all Bundy's uh, victims were just crimes of opportunity. And they were sometimes. But, but not always. He would spot women going in and out of their apartments or homes and or and he would he would watch them he would follow them all and the women they you know they never picked up on it but but that's what he had done to this woman and so um and that's what he had done with cheryl thomas in florida at, you know the, the the place he went to attack her you know right after he attacked those four women in Kyle omega killing too he left there, mm-hmm. wasn't satiated, and went down and attacked Cheryl Thomas. Well, he, he already knew what Thomas looked like. He already knew where she lived. He knew exactly where he was going. It, it, it wasn't happenstance. It wasn't just, just by chance. So anyway, so, so I get this new story of a valid contact, a couple of ladies who definitely dealt with, with Bundy, also in September, because I asked her, I said, Frida, when was this? She said it was before the October murders. So the, the, the okay, so you know he killed uh, Nancy Wilcox, although they didn't find her body and wouldn't put her uh, t- uh, two and two together about her being a bunny victim until later on. But she but she disappeared on, on October second. So she she's thinking it was like late September also. So through this thing, uh, I, I got to see how active Bundy was in his first month there, where he was operating close to home and it was a busy month for him again he wasn't there until the third he went home in the middle of the month he had to enroll in school or you know go and check in what well, he he didn't spend a lot of time there on that first semester maybe three times but he he had a lot to do and so even with now, that, i got a question for you do you yeah. think that the longer that he shows they suffer from his condition of being ted bundy uh-huh that the more time he spent having surrendered to it of doing exactly this the uh, the looking the shopping the making sure there was the uh selection the availability yes et cetera yes yeah he he apparently had been stalking that one lady now the susan Milner thing it was just a, an opportunity that presented itself, and he saw her sitting there. So there were both ways Bundy did it, but he obviously this woman that he was really trying to find which apartment she lived in, she she turned out being an, a, a telephone operator that worked the night shift. And Frida Eight mm-hmm. said, "Well, we would come home from work in the day, like around five or five thirty, uh, and then she would be leaving. So they would say right. hello to each other. And so when Bundy described her, they said, "Well, we think we know who it is, but we just don't know her name. We see her coming in and out." So I can't tell you which apartment, you know, that she lives in. But so anyway, he, yeah, he was definitely stalking her. So 
he was doing both crimes of opportunity and also that stalking. Because with Bundy, he would see a woman sometimes, and he would he would become so obsessed with what she looked like, he felt like he had to have her. And he said that once. He said he saw a woman one time. He said, I just had to have her. And I don't think he got her because I think that's the one that he tried to abduct, and he hit her on the head with a uh, like a board or something, and uh, it broke. And then you know she screamed, and and he had to call it off. But it, but that's how he was. So uh, on that night that he hit that woman, and it wasn't in Utah; it was in Washington State. Um, I mean that was a failed thing right there. But uh, and so that, thank God that lady lived. But he, you know, he became really good at it, and he would just. Wait for the proper moments. He'd also check doors to see if apartment doors. I mean, the first thing he would have done if they would have said, um, you know, her apartment. She's an apartment 2B or whatever. Well, yeah, he would have gone and tried the door, especially if they just said, well, she's probably going on to work anyway, but because she worked nights. So, but the bottom line is what got me thinking, and, and this is going to bust a myth that I didn't know I was going to be busting. Uh, but there there was this talk, and you'll even find this in Larson's book. I, I really like Richard Larson, and I really like his book, uh, The Deliberate Stranger. But he was pretty convinced that Bundy knew Laura and Amy, uh, and uh, it, this, that, that, that Bundy used to hang out with Laura and Amy at a place called um, at uh, Brown's Cafe, which was which was really the, a nickname, not the actual thing, but it was like 30 miles south of Salt Lake. Uh, and it was, uh, and, 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 and two, this occurred after Bundy got there and he became friends with people down there and all that. Stuff. I don't, I, I never felt there was something that just didn't feel right about the whole story. So I never put it in the Bundy murders, but for the trail of Ted Bundy, my second book, I said, well, I, 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 you know, I never felt good about it, and I still don't now. But because it's possible it could be true, uh, I'm going to put this in about him possibly knowing Laura and Amy. Well, when I got this information and I started to see his hunting pattern for that September was not out in other areas or other counties. Uh, it, it was right there in his, in his proverbial own backyard. And I said, and so I say in the book, the book is getting ready to come out. That settles it for me. There is no way Bundy was traveling from that large city at Salt Lake down to a, a, a tiny Lehigh, Utah, with about 4,600 people living in it, and taking the time to become friends with with a couple of the guys there. Yeah, uh, Lauren Navy. It didn't happen. And so now that I've been it able doesn't to track, fit. yeah. No, it doesn't fit. Uh-uh. And there's a lot of law enforcement people who didn't think it 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 would fit then, but they didn't have the information about where he was hunting. So Catherine Ramsland is so nice. You know, she's a friend of mine. And um she she always uh writes blurbs for my books. And she said on this one, uh which is like I say, this is one coming out Tuesday, she said uh, the, the the last of it says, and and you know we can still chip away at his secrets, and that's true because I never looked for information to find out where Bundy was hunting that first month he was there, but it just started coming to me from these testimonies. The first one was 
just an isolated one in the in the sixth book, The Enigma of Ted Bundy. But then when this other thing opened up, I said, listen, this is a pattern for me. He was hunting in that area. And, and you know, so there's no way he's going down to Lehigh, Utah doing this. And so I busted the myth. Now, I don't think these people were lying. I think it's the misidentification. You know, I think that's mm-hmm. what it was. It wasn't Bundy. Hmm. It's interesting that there's a combination of two characteristics. And I found this also with Robert Lee Yates, the Spokane serial killer. Yeah. He had his modus operandi, shall we say, in the Spokane area, where uh-huh. he went, where he shopped, shall we say, uh-huh. you know, or where he fished, and yep. how he handled it. But also, he would get the urge to kill when he was out of the area. And once a month, he had to go to his uh, National Guard or Army Reserve meetings on the other side of the state. Okay. Where he didn't quite have things nailed down, if you'll pardon the expression, as no, he did true. in Spokane. Mm-hmm. And he admitted that there are times when he just got the compulsion, you know, mm-hmm. and boy, I really want a burger. I'm going out and see what's yeah. open, you know. Yeah, yeah, and, right, uh, exactly. It wouldn't fit his normal pattern, and so mm-hmm. it wasn't thought of as being something that he did until, yeah, it was him. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. And, and you know, I, I think I told you this, Burl, but uh, I had been talking, this is a couple of years ago, on Facebook Messenger with his um, um, supposedly woman that's engaged to him. Oh, and, yeah. Oh, God. You know, Yates still enjoys talking about those murders and the things he did. And, he, and she said he's told me quite a lot. And, uh, God, it's, it's hard to imagine that people can revel in that stuff, isn't it? It's just these people that are just this way. They're just like monsters walking around. It's unbelievable. Yeah, they, it's like uh, uh, Robert Lee H., you know, was married, had uh, what, five kids and a, a heavy-duty job. And he's teaching Bible class on Sundays. Unbelievable. And, you know, he comes home with his van, got blood all over it. And he tells his wife and kids, oh, I accidentally hit a dog. Put the dog mm-hmm. in the van and took it to the van. I'm such a good guy. You know, Lord be happy yeah. with me. Yeah. Know, meanwhile, yeah. Yeah. not the case at all. You know. God, and, uh, uh, He confessed to his wife that he did have a problem, you know, yeah, that he did right. have an addiction. And uh, whatever he did, it was gambling. That's where the money was going. Where yeah. it wasn't, you know, it was going on motel rooms and drugs. Yeah, yeah. What, and, what, bro, uh, bro, what, what, what kind of job did he have, anyway? He worked at an aluminum processing plant. Uh-huh. Uh, heavy work, especially for a guy his age. Uh-huh. And uh, it was hard work, hard physical labor. Yeah. And so he had, he had this big man, big hands, big neck. Women would always describe that. You know, this guy had big hands and big neck, muscular, you know. Yep. It was hard did, work. Did you ever get a chance to interview his children? What's that? I say, did did you ever have a chance when you were writing the book to interview his children or his ex-wife or anything? No, not directly. However, uh, someone did uh, pay, I think uh, Checkbook Journalism did an entire TV show that was uh, – uh, with his daughter. Oh, okay. Uh, 
yeah. the kids weren't too thrilled when <laughs> yeah. they did speak at his trial. The daughter did. Oh, shit. Yeah. And that was, Daddy, we love you. We don't quite understand how you enjoy killing people and uh, yeah. eating them and that sort of stuff. But, you know, we love you anyway, Dad. Right. You know, it's just unbelievable. It's got to be horribly, horribly traumatic. Yep. Because by all accounts, within that realm, because, you know, they compartmentalize. Sure. It's like, you know, Absolutely. Just the, like Bundy. They try not to have those two lives cause paths. Mm-hmm. And, uh, Within the compartment of being a, a father, he was quite a good one. Mm-hmm. But yeah. I wouldn't say he was a role model outside of no. that. But you know what I mean. No, I, I I fully understand. Yeah, I wonder if his kids keep in contact with him all these years later. Oh, he's. Hey, I, I've done some follow up research when I uh, did mm-hmm. the uh, the ebook version of uh, mm-hmm. uh, Body Count. Uh-huh. And, uh huh. And. Uh, he's a model prisoner. Well, that makes yeah. sense. Because, because uh, right. I mean, he's a he's a military guy. He served in Desert Storm. Excellent uh-huh. reputation, uh, you know, mm-hmm. for following orders. A good worker and all that, mm-hmm. and uh, never have a problem with him. Strange. Same with Kirby Anthony, who's serving time in Alaska for murdering, uh, you know, the, his aunt and her two little kids. I uh, was reading an article about something that uh, happened in the prison there in Alaska mm-hmm. and all this fine work that Kirby Anthony was doing. Mm-hmm. You know, if he was down here, they would have, by the prison would have killed him already. Right, right. Did, uh, uh, and you didn't interview uh, Yates, did you? No, he wouldn't talk to me. We asked him. Uh-huh. He said, why would anyone be interested in talking to me? He says, I mean, I, he's, I'm the last person on earth that anyone would want to talk to. Yeah. You know, he didn't think too highly of himself. And uh, even all the court documents uh, were sealed regarding Why? him. I do a heck of a lot of digging, as a pardon the expression. Yeah, right. Uh, I interviewed uh, the survivors, you know, uh, mm-hmm. women who uh, that managed to escape. One right. was pretty darn fascinating. Uh, but his thing was he'd pick up these working girls, have them perform oral sex, and after seven minutes, if he hadn't got a direction, he shot him in the head while they were at work with a twenty-two. Uh-huh. Uh, immediately put a, a paper towel over the wound and then a plastic bag over their head so he wouldn't mm-hmm. get blood all over himself. And then he'd have mm-hmm. sex with them when they were dead. Yeah. Real family program. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah, really. I know. <laughs> well, this uh-huh. one young lady that I interviewed at length, uh, when he shot her in the head, uh, mm-hmm. she said, I zigged when he thought I was going to zag, and uh, I didn't know I'd been shot. I right. thought he just hit me over the head with something. Right. It wasn't until four months, she ran away and got away. Mm-hmm. Since four uh-huh. months later, I was in a car accident in uh, Tacoma or someplace, and they did an x-ray, and they said, do you realize you have bullet fragments in your skull? God, she think said, of that. That's when she found out that uh, he he tried to kill her. Oh, And then she saw him on TV and went, that's the guy that shot me in the head. Wow. And uh, not, she was yeah. perfectly happy to, to, to talk to me. She said, and I will give you a direct quote, she says, I owe my life to the fact that I give unpredictable head. <laughs> well, that, that's true. Oh, my. Yeah. That's, 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 oh, that's, that's something else. Uh, yeah. did, did, did he ever say... Did he ever tell authorities when that started in him and uh, 
Oh, well, I'll tell you, it goes back farther than than they thought. Oh, it uh, did. Well, yeah, it, uh, he was stationed in Germany for a okay. while. All right. And when he first went in the service, and there are uh, several unsolved uh, murders of uh, working girls uh, there. It yeah. now look uh, remarkably was exactly lined up with where he was at that time. Oh sure. Well, you know the but, first people he killed were friends of my family back in my hometown. Oh no, I did not know that. Uh, yeah, there was this couple, uh, and I'm actually that's a small town, Walla Walla, Washington, mm-hmm. and uh, this couple were good friends. They'd been separated for quite a while. They reunited, and he went out for a picnic, and. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're having a picnic right by where he would practice his uh, uh, shooting, where he'd shoot the gun, right? Oh, yeah, right, and, right. And he crosses the line from fantasy to reality. He goes up to where they're picnicking, and he uh, shoots the young man, and then he does, he forces the girl to perform oral sex on him and, and shoots her the same way he's going to do all the rest. This is his fantasy. However, he has a three fifty seven Magnum. Mm-hmm. Instead of a twenty-two. Oh yeah. Well, it's yeah, certainly learned not yeah. to use a three fifty-seven Magnum at close range. No. <laughs> well, you've got someone's head in your lap. Right? Yeah, you might. Yeah, you might just do yourself a lot of harm. That's yeah, right. Good, shoot it off. <laughs> but show you the difference between crime scene investigation then and now. Uh-huh. And, uh huh. And I've got this in in, in the uh, in the book. Uh huh. Before they give the body to the cops due to the, you know, technicians, it completely washed and cleaned before given to them. No kidding. Yeah, no, that was no the procedure. Kidding. You completely wow. wipe and clean the body so it's spotless, and then you give it to the authorities. God, that's unbelievable. Yeah, that's the way, way it was done. And uh, so they couldn't get much information off of that. He immediately moved. You know, I mean, they, uh, the witnesses said what kind of car it was mm-hmm. uh, and when. And he mm-hmm. got that little car and he, he moved out of town. Wow. How many times was he married? Uh, he was married twice. Okay. In fact, okay. the second marriage was before the first one was over. <laughs> well, well uh, how big of me. <laughs> yeah. How big of him, too. Yeah. How big of him. He could have said, how big of me. Well, you know, he also got in, in trouble with that first wife. Maybe this is why he got a divorce. He had a duplex in College Place, Washington, and he drilled a hole in the wall, kind of like in the movie Psycho, where Norman yep. Bates would right. look through the hole in the wall and the people at the motel. Well, right. he did the same thing. He was uh, watch the couple in the uh, next unit um, have love, you know, make sex, whatever. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. He yeah. watched through the hole in the wall. Yeah. And his wife was unimpressed by that. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. A little <laughs> rude. Yeah, of course. I guess. He also had the. Uh, uh, I think it was unfortunate. His uh, grand uh, was his grandfather killed the grandmother with a with a axe, an axe murder. Wow, well, there's some strange traumas going on there. But uh, I, I can I tell you, he's a yeah. model prisoner. The interesting thing, if you ever pick up the, the book and look at the photo section. <laughs> He yeah. worked as a, uh, a correctional officer at Washington State Penitentiary. Oh, yeah. And then, of course, the Washington State Penitentiary is where they sent him when he was convicted. 
So side by side, I have a picture, and both pictures are taken in the exact same place, exact same uh-huh. procedure. So you have a picture of him holding his little sign with his name uh-huh. and his number, correction officer, and next to that is a picture X number of years later, same place, same facility, same method, picture wow. of him holding his little sign as a prisoner. Oh, that's weird, isn't it? That's yeah. very weird. That's very weird. I, you know, uh, That's yeah. the second, mm-hmm. second time in my career that I, I've had a similar illustration. In uh, Man Overboard, there was a fellow that was a, uh, a, a prisoner, convict, whatever you call him, uh, at Shelton Correctional Center in Washington State. He got yeah. out of the correctional center, changed his name, and went back as a correctional officer. Mm-hmm. Oh, man. Think of that. Oh, well, I Lord. guess he was very comfortable there, so he went back. Yeah, I guess. I guess so. Hey, you know, even though they were different people uh, and different personalities, they, but, but Bundy and Yates, I mean, they apparently had a lot in, com- in common because they both were uh, necrophiles and they both wanted to torture and uh well, not only Bunny physically tortured women, but he psychologically tortured them sometimes. And uh, so, yeah, and, and, and they both like to do, you know, peeping on people. So, yeah, a lot of these people, they got the same kind of traits in them. It's just strange. Yeah. You know, and Yates was friends uh, with some of these women. He used to hang out where they hang out at the little restaurant there uh, oh. down on Sprig Avenue. And he'd uh-huh. you know, have coffee with them. And some of the good, and he'd try to date some of them, and some of them wouldn't because of this, their, their radar. You know, oh, they go off yeah. by their gut instinct. Oh, and some yeah, of them said, yeah, no. Yeah. Well, you know, that's uh-huh. interesting that he would kill women that he knew. Now, see, that's, that's one thing Bundy didn't want to do. He told the, he told the investigators in Florida, he said, he said, I never hurt anyone I know. He, he wanted that distance. And, um, well, yeah, as I told you, that Ann Rule told me the story about she took Bundy to a dance uh, uh-huh. when they were working together, and there was a uh-huh. girl that looks exactly like all of his victims. You know, the long hair part of the middle. Oh, yeah, and yeah. She's going, she's going, Ted, Ted, there's a look at that lovely girl. Ask her to dance, Ted. Ask her to dance. And he got so freaked out that he got yeah, drunk. I guess so. And oh, uh, yeah. his rules were colliding, you know. He's trying yeah, to keep exactly. them separate. And right. Ann's going, oh, come on, go ahead, ask her to dance, Ted. He you said, I don't do... want to dance. I want to do more than dance. I want to kill her. I want to eat her. <laughs> <laughs> and she said that she had to take him home and uh, undress him and put him to bed because he was he just drank himself to a, a totally sloshed condition. And yeah. she's telling me this. And I don't know if you ever talked to Ann, but she's a real no, sweetheart for the most part. And she would tell these stories about Bundy with such affection because they were good friends. And yeah. I, I finally said to her at the end of the, we're having lunch together in, in New York, I said, Ann, you talk about Bundy with such honest and sincere affection. Mm-hmm. Which Bundy, which Bundy are we talking about? It's yeah, the same which one? physical person, but it's like two yeah. different people leading two different lives. If you had to say which one was real and which one was, you know, uh, an art- artifice, you know, which exactly. one's real? And she you said, know, uh, the one that killed and murdered people. That's the real yeah. one. Yeah, that's the real Bundy. You know, Jerry Thompson, when I was interviewing him, uh, 
in 2006. Uh, he, we, I, I've got his interview on tape, and I, he, at one point he said, if you could stop the tape recorder, I said, okay. He said, I, I don't want you printing this, but I just want to let you know. He said when Bundy was in jail in Utah, you know, uh, uh, and Rue, he said she used to call me up occasionally and harangue me for uh, having an innocent man in jail. And he said, I would let her talk a little bit. And so then after all it was over and, and Andrew came to the conclusion that, yeah, Bundy was guilty. I said, did she ever call you and apologize? He said, no. No. He said, I don't, I don't want you. <laughs> he said, I don't want you writing about it. And I said, I wouldn't. And of course not. I, I mean, I, there were stories I would hear uh, that, yeah. of course, were not really going to go into the book, that didn't need to go into the book. But, no, that's just that doesn't. The the our stories that we talk about on the radio, maybe someone yeah. will repeat it, but that's about it. You know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Not quite I mean, the same as having on print. Yeah, yeah, but, yeah. So anyway, but yeah, but yeah, and I, I would have liked to have talked. I, you know, I I had her book. You know, Bundy later played down uh, their friendship uh, to Bill Hagmeyer. He said, "Well, we weren't really that good friends." He said, "We never really did anything socially." But uh, but except for the time, maybe like what she said that he, she, you know he she took him to a dance or whatever. But he said that we just didn't do much. We just kind of worked together. But Bundy, you know, kept in contact with her a lot. And well, yeah, I think it was his first phone call when he was arrested. Wasn't yep. to the lawyer. Probably. <laughs> yeah, probably. But yeah, it uh, was. yeah, yeah, yeah. But I would have liked to have talked to her. I just never had the chance. But I had her book, and I, I I quote one thing from when when Bundy goes and meets her. You know, he's back for the last two months that he'd ever be in Washington State. He's back there, uh, and he uh, asks if she could if they, if they could have you know dinner together or, or lunch or whatever. And so he goes there and meets with her for two hours. And of course, he wanted to talk to Ann about all the stuff that that the detectives had been asking her. And to, to her credit, even though she believed he was innocent, she was passing off information to authorities about, right. yeah, Bundy, and certain things he would say that seemed very weird to her. So right. yeah, she was to of her two. Credit. He was of two minds, and so was she. Yes, right, exactly. Mm. You know what? What is so ironic about the the whole their whole relationship? Uh-huh. Both personally and professionally, uh-huh. she got her book contract to write that book before she knew Bundy had any involvement. And she went right. to old Ted, I'm so excited. I have a book contract. If they yeah. ever solve this case, I get to do a book on it. No, oh, isn't that something? Yeah, she was. So that's why he called her when he got arrested. And I, I got a bonus for you. <laughs> I know it. I know it. That is really interesting. You know, uh, it's a strange case, and, uh, you know, there's there's still things. We know a lot about Bundy. We know a lot about what he did, but there's still some mystery to it. So I'm, I was happy in this latest book, this journal that, that I call it, um, to uncover some, some new things about the case. And we've got some testimonies in there, some women who were absolutely uh, stopped by Bundy and, you know, they – he tried to pick her up, and there are things that they saw. And you can tell when somebody's telling the truth by what they say he said to them, and also yeah. by how 
almost by how nothing the story is. They just wouldn't go with him, but they describe certain things he said and did. When people right. call up and, they, and, and they're lying, they, they have these elaborate stories, and, you know, they just – and they don't – I've never had any where somebody told me a really elaborate story about something Bundy did uh, to really always check out to where I could say, you know what, it's it's a likelihood it was Bundy. But a lot of these stories uh, that – Yeah, that they do, get that, too, yeah. too ludicrous and too lurid at the same time. Yeah. You know someone yeah. has a fevered imagination. Yes, yes, it, that's exactly what it is. And I think some people, I mean, there was one lady I talked about her in the, uh, and she, I know she's not meaning to make anything up. Something happened to her, but, uh, uh, you know, as you know, I live in Louisville, Kentucky, and across from us is, is southern Indiana. And she she said that but, that, uh, that that Bundy had attacked her uh, in, in 1974 in southern Indiana. Well, Bundy was busy in Washington State. Uh, he, mm-hmm. he 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 didn't leave the state in 1974 uh, until he went to Utah that September. So I mean, there was no it was there, but she 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 thinks it was him. And I've talked to women who are really nice, and they sometimes people want to be a part of that story. Right. And, they'll say, and yeah, they'll say things like, "Well, you know." Um, uh, I, I, I know it was Bundy, or I think it was, and he, I would say, well, where were you ge- uh, geographically at the time, and uh, at w- times and dates that you were there, if, if you could tell me, and then they'd give me the information, and then I would check the record, and a lot of it I just just remember by memory, and I say, no, right. he, he just he just wasn't there at the time, and I've had a few and say, no, it was him, I know it was him. There's a guy on there who had posted a, an encounter he said his mother had with Bundy, and uh, he's had, I don't know, four million hits on it in, uh, I think it was um, Arkansas or wh- wherever. Anyway, uh, I, I, I just sent a little note saying, I mean, I believe something really happened to your mom, but it couldn't have been Bundy because not only was he not there that year, but when he was there, he flew into the city and then flew out. He, he mm-hmm. didn't even have his Volkswagen. And, uh, right. So, oh, speaking yeah, of I mean, the Volkswagen, <laughs> back when that that whole incident happened and how I first I first happened to get involved, oh, yeah. you know, they the, uh, called me to do some distance reading on the, uh-huh. uh, the Jan's Ott uh-huh. disappearing from Marymore Park. And I worked on that case. From Sammamish, but, yeah. Like my brother was in the prosecutor's office. Oh, and okay. Just before it was Bundy, before anybody knew it was Bundy, uh, or suspected it was, then my brother uh-huh. and I were out fishing, and we were talking about this thing with the, the, the brown Volkswagen, et cetera, et cetera. And he said this woman came in, I guess it was Ted's girlfriend at the time, okay. and said, I think it's my boyfriend, and talked about the bite box on her butt. Oh, yeah. No kidding. Huh. Yeah. Yeah. And so what did, kind of, did I, I mean, hate to use the expression a dead giveaway, but uh, did they did they follow up on that? I mean, uh well, my brother left the prosecutor's office uh and went uh, to Washington DC. Mm-hmm. Uh so I he just happened to tell me about this woman coming forward about the brown Volkswagen saying, I think that's yep. my boyfriend. And he bites me on the butt. 
Oh yeah, 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 exactly. Oh, oh yeah, you're talking about Liz. I'm sorry. Yeah. yeah. Well, that, that's not the only thing he did to Liz. Do you know he uh, he used to um, Liz allowed uh, him to tie her up a couple of times, but then she got freaked out by it and she stopped. But what was well, you know, Yeah, go, go ahead. ahead. Well, I'm just well, going to no, you go ahead first, and I'll go ahead. <laughs> okay, <laughs> we'll go ahead at the same time. Okay, so he was choking her one night while they were having sex, and she said, "I was trying to get him to stop, and his face was like blank. He was, it, it's like he wasn't seeing her. It wasn't, he wasn't there. Yeah, in the zone. Yeah. Right, right. He was, he had uh, retreated into himself, gone into that altered state." And it was kind of like when he also pushed her out of that raft when they were, uh, you know, going down to Yakima together. But at both times, he 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 kind of went blank. He wasn't there. She said, "I had to really shake him, and or maybe like hit him to even wake him up." And then of course he stopped. But yeah, yeah. he would. Yeah, it just you know. And and the really the only people that ever saw that side of Bundy were 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 the women that were, were his victims. And uh, but but he, but he let that out a couple of times with Liz. And you know he didn't mean to. He was just right. so into what he was doing that he just kind of morphed into that. So it was terrible. Mm-hmm. But, but yeah, that 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 freaked her out. But you know she was already troubled. Uh, I remember Liz said uh, in her book she said you know he had all he had already stopped uh, basically having sex with her in nineteen early nineteen seventy four. She wasn't going to submit to the kind of things that that he wanted to do, and uh, she thought he might. You know, she, it always concerned her that he might be going after other women, which he did anyway. It wouldn't matter. Well, yeah, what she, she probably. But she's going to stop. You know, he's going to fill that need somewhere. Right. You know? Right. That's what she was thinking, and she said, "I had no idea that he was." Out well, I'll tell you. Now, here's the difference. Women. A friend of mine, not say a personal friend of, but casual acquaintance of mine. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> to a good friend of mine who happens to be the widow of Marvin Gaye. Now, oh, okay, yeah. Uh, she was a virgin when she married Marvin. She never had sex with anybody before. Okay. And then after Marvin's untimely death, eventually, of course, she's going to date other people. She's going to have sex with somebody else. Sure. And the first time she has intimate relations with someone other than Marvin, she mm-hmm. is totally confused. And she says to the fellow, Aren't you going to tie me up first? Oh, no. She thought everyone had sex being tied up first and then beaten with a Bible. Oh. Because that's no. the only way she'd ever had it. Yeah, that's that's bizarre. I didn't know Marvin was into that. <laughs> well, oh, yeah. That, that was I weird. Mean, he, he may not have been straight-laced, but she was. <laughs> yeah, really, really. Hey, why did his father kill him? Oh, his father was a, a very psychological, literal phrase that I'll teach you in Yiddish. Abyssal Meshuga, which means uh-huh. a little crazy. The father <laughs> okay. was up mentally well. Right, okay. And, and uh, uh-huh. they got into an argument. In fact, you know, the, the original spelling of the name did not have an E on the end of it. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah, Marvin okay. put the E on the end of it. He had a paranoid delusion about homosexuals. Oh, he In did? fact, he, oh yeah, he picked up uh, my friend Barbara and uh, and Jan, who was his wife. They were best friends, and uh-huh. he picked them up in California and took them to New York when he was going to appear at the Apollo just before he got killed. Mm-hmm. And he told them, and I quote, 
the homosexual midgets of America were trying to kill him by putting poison in his cocaine. And so he wants them to do his cocaine first to make sure it wasn't poison. Oh. Which they gladly well, complied for that weekend. Well, sure. The ones who like the cocaine, sure. Yeah. Uh, no, cocaine's but, fine, Marvin, but we better do some more just to make sure. Or, or or they say, listen, I need to do another hit because I, I'm not sure. <laughs> I, I, I'm not quite sure. I'm feeling a little queasy. Yeah. And that poor Marvin, somebody oh, took some other medication, medication, some other drug, and he yeah. had part of his act where he'd throw the microphone up in the air and, and catch it. Well, he threw it right. up in the air, and he looked up, and about four of them were coming down. <laughs> Didn't know which one to catch. <laughs> whack them all. Yeah, <laughs> whack them all. Oh, that's funny. Well, I, I had no idea that Marvin was so messed up. That's yeah, he's a great he performer, it. great singer. Well, he was. Yeah, he had a great voice. Yeah. But oh, uh, yeah. that was. Yeah, before he thought it was the homosexual midgets of America, he said mm-hmm. it thought it was the homosexual hairdressers of New York. But he had this paranoid delusion about homosexuals, and part of it was the the association of his uh, spelling of his last name. Oh, okay. And probably got teased about it when he was a kid, you know. Well, you know what? That's probably true. Oh, yeah, I guess so. So I guess he was smart for putting the E on it if if it was bothering him. But, yeah, anyway, he he, he died pretty young, right? He he was what? Well, uh, he wasn't very old, no. Late 30s, maybe? Yeah, you know, 40s. and he did that uh, fantastic album, What's Going On, which is kind of considered yeah. his Sgt. Pepper's soul album, you know, yeah. with the Pet yeah, Sounds soul album. And everyone Classic. expected something like that next, but no, they got sexual healing. Yeah, uh, right. He, he, all that social consciousness stuff, it almost kind of freaked him out. <laughs> he, yeah, you know, no kidding. Yeah. It, was a fanta- it was a fantastic album. Fantastic yep. songs, great performer. It was really uh-huh. a tragic loss. And, it really uh, is. Yeah. I see his son every about every couple of years. I bump into his son. Oh, okay. How is he? Does yeah. he seem pretty normal? Well, like the, a, no, yeah, he's always well, like kind of quiet. Uh, you know, there's a whole little gang of them here. Uh, yeah. Of the sons of uh, a lot of these oh. Motown people. Oh, yeah. Uh, Junior, Bobby Gay Jr., Bobby Whitfield yeah, Jr., yeah, yeah. whatever. Uh, they're all, all here. And, any, uh, of them, any of them in, in, I, in you know, the music? And I went to a recording section oh, where yeah. it was all okay. the sons of these people all doing this uh, together. They're doing a no, performance. Sons of Legends, I think it was called. They did concerts as well. Wow, that's pretty cool. Uh, but boy, I talk about. He figured someone like uh, Norman Whitfield, all the hit Motown songs, he yeah. wrote like a thousand of them, <laughs> you know, uh-huh. on all those yeah. albums. And yeah. the kids get the money, you know. So, uh, yeah, have, uh, at least in their youth, a rather wild lifestyle. But they were always nice to me, so I'm not saying a bad thing about anybody. Yeah, well, that's good. Yeah, they see. Yeah, that would be interesting. Yeah. To, to, to talk it's to a, it's a bit people. of a burden though having a a father yep. who's who's famous, famous like that, right? Because they always feel like, am I going to measure up to dad? Yeah, you're so, not. You know, I saw what was it, uh, uh, Clark Gable Jr. on TV once. He looked exactly like his dad, and uh-huh. he never had a career in show business. You know, right? Yeah, right. Well, did he try? 
I think he did. He wound up working as an expert or something. You know, well, it wasn't like, as they say the secret essence of his sire. Right. Well, it's like Johnny Carson's son. Uh, he tried to act in a few movies. I don't think it really went anywhere for him. But uh, yeah, that's not like. Well, it's like Roger Moore's son, Jeffrey. He and I wrote. Uh, we're working on a screenplay together. It went through oh. a lot of mutations for Sony to work on a same yeah. screenplay. Uh, it was cool. fun to work with, nice guy, and it was even considered casting him in uh, mm-hmm. the Saint role of Roger Moore's son. But, oh, uh, no kidding! Uh, that didn't happen. Uh, yeah, uh, anyway. another way. Yeah, yeah, that too. Uh, Adam Rayner, boy, that guy's tall. He had a great TV series, uh, uh, Tyrant, which unfortunately oh, yeah. was canceled. It was too realistic. <laughs> oh, okay. The super nice yeah. guy, great actor, and a good person too. I enjoyed working with him. Hey, Burl, I saw the, uh, this real good picture that you did. You were coming out with you, you, you were beside George Hamilton. You know, he's always tanned. Yeah, and I don't yeah. know if you were holding. What was the story on that? That looked really because I know you were trying to get in the picture and get a, had somebody get a shot with it. What, 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 what was what was transpiring there? What was transpiring is George Hamilton was being uh, like an evening with George Hamilton, the Directors Guild, put it on. Yeah. And okay. <laughs> uh, uh, I could always go to these things because the, the uh, girl I was uh, going with at the time had been in uh, SAG, Screen Actors Guild, since she was 19. It used to yeah. be the trophy wife, no trophy anymore, but used to be the trophy wife of <laughs> the fellow who wrote, Slowly I Turned Inch by Step by Oh, step. no kidding. Yeah, Joey Faye, she was the wife of Joey Faye. He was 40 years older than she was, the long story there. But yeah. anyway, so I would go to these events. I went backstage, and I went into his dressing room, and he looked at me. <laughs> hey, I knew ahead of time what was going to happen, because from the nose up, we look exactly alike. Uh-huh. Always have had. If you ever watch that, the movie where he plays Moss Hart, you do all these close-ups of his eyes uh-huh. and the nose up. And you swear okay. for a pearl bear. <laughs> anyway, he took one look at me and he said, you know, if I gave you my Dracula cape, <laughs> he says, you could get a be with me, my body double. Oh, that's <laughs> I know. That's hysterical, Burl. Because, <laughs> uh, you know, the same thing, I got a cousin that for the nose up, we look exactly like different yeah. mouths, the same. But anyway, the Hamilton recognized that immediately. He got a big kick out of it. So that's why yeah, I had that picture cool. of us together. That, yeah, it's a good picture of you two. Yeah, it's, it's cool. Can anyway. you tell the resemblance in the picture? Huh? Can you tell the resemblance in the picture? Well, now that I think of it, if, if, if you look at the eyes and stuff like that and those up, yes, I can see the resemblance. But but I, it, it also looked like you guys were moving kind of quickly across the parking lot, wasn't it? Yeah, we were. Yeah, we just walked out of the Directors Guild, yeah. Yeah, that's a pretty cool shot of you two. So we had some, I, was very, I also got a picture with Angie Dickinson. We did not sleep together, however. I was <laughs> a few. Yeah, the you have funny to one, that. this is nothing to do with true crime, but my uh, one of my good friends, Alan Goldblatt, who uh, uh-huh. worked in, has worked in the industry forever, and now he's uh-huh. up in uh, where they do the uh, Shakespeare stuff up in Oregon there. But anyway, oh, yeah. he was okay. uh, uh, at an event, and Elizabeth Taylor is there. And uh, he goes over, and he's talking to Elizabeth Taylor. Mm-hmm. And someone takes a picture, and it's in the tabloids. 
as Elizabeth Taylor's new lover. <laughs> oh, are you kidding me? My goodness. <laughs> just, that's a great – also, there's a picture of him. This is interesting. There's a picture of Bill Graham, uh, Alan mm-hmm. Goldblatt, and uh, what's her name? Movie star. Female movie star at the time. Oh. When McGovern was running for president. And a picture yeah. of the three of them together, the candid photo, mm-hmm. uh, in Rolling Stone. And my oh, friend yeah. Alan looks a little under the weather to be in that picture. And that's because the next day he went to the hospital for major surgery. Oh, okay. <laughs> but wow. to his surprise, yeah. He had an embolism uh, go through his uh, heart into his lungs or vice versa. Almost oh, died. But uh, his pictures in Rolling Stone with uh, Warren yeah. Beatty and... Uh, Whatever her name is, it's easy being famous. Uh, the one thing about my career is I've I've uh, got to I don't know whether it's a plus or a minus. Spent a lot of private time with people who are now in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame and yeah. Uh, but you know, if you meet them before they're famous or after they're famous, uh-huh. I, mean, I was sitting with Leon Russell. He's passed away now. He was even yeah. elderly when uh, he first got famous. They would show Cocker. We're sitting yeah. on a couch together. He's reading Rolling Stone magazine and decides to roll a joint the size of the Sunday New York Times. <laughs> he does. Yeah. Lights it yeah. up. Does not bother to put it in an ashtray. He sets it on the couch, oh, which no. was a fabric couch. And the couch catches on fire with me sitting oh, on the no couch. No kidding. No kidding. So the whole couch, the couch is burning this giant hole in the couch. He's so stoned out of his mind he doesn't even notice. Yeah. I'm not stoned out of my mind. And I noticed the couch is on fire. That yeah. I'm sitting on couch is on fire. So someone Leon, 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 the couch is on fire. He can't even <laughs> process it. So in oh. comes Joe Crowley and uh, some other people. And they pick up the couch and run mm-hmm. outside and go to Alki Bay in Seattle. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> something else. Yeah, they hey, went the couch. What's uh, you, you know, you mentioned Warren Beatty, and you never see him anymore. What, what's the well, you know, he did it, he did it. That was a sad story. Uh, he did a movie that was produced by Stephen Big, who was an acquaintance of mine. Now, mm-hmm. Stephen uh, inherited four hundred million dollars. Oh, that's nice. And he was a nice guy too, very nice guy. But he always had uh-huh. depression. And yeah. I heard, and he finally, I'm sad to say, uh, committed suicide here. Uh, himself out from the balcony of his uh, apartment uh, with four hundred million dollars. Well, he must well have by the time, but well, yes, yeah, but he had the blues. Uh, by the time he killed himself, he said in liquid assets he had about uh, forty thousand, four hundred thousand, something like that. Uh, he put a lot of money into projects that didn't make money. One of them being right. a film with Warren Beatty. Warren Beatty was about eighty years old. They uh-huh. did a film. It was very expensive, and it was a giant bomb. Oh, well. It was Beatty's last yeah. film. Well, and, uh, that's not good. He had a few, but he did He did fund the movie Polar Express, which made a lot of money. Oh, yeah, it did. And yeah. he did also produce Jerry Lee Lewis's most recent album. Oh, okay. Well, that's but good. I saw him just I saw him a few months uh, before he killed himself. We had kind of a good time. Won't go into details. Yeah. We could probably all be arrested, but we had a good time. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, well, yeah. It's, it's a shame he he uh, he took that route. I hate to hear those things, you know. Yeah, well, but, you know, I can understand it. The, 
I was taking some medication the doctor gave me years ago, and I thought I was getting a cold. I took an yep. antihistamine. If I would have had a gun, I would have blown my brains out. There you go. But I managed not to. The next day, I went to get the prescription filled with the pharmacist and said, Burl, you know, never to take an antihistamine with this medication. I oh. said, really? He says, yeah. So <laughs> write the notes. Causes obsessive suicidal thoughts. Wow. So the doctor neglected to tell me that. And, and you said, thank you for telling me now. Yeah, day late. <laughs> One <laughs> yeah. gunshot short. <laughs> yeah, really. All right. Well, so now anyway. that you've got, now you're committed for the rest of your natural or unnatural life. Yeah. You're going to be doing this Bundy thing once a year. Once a year. Once a year. Until you go to the great beyond. I guess. And then I'll have to release Ted to wherever he is. And I don't expect to see him up there. But you no, I, I don't either. You yeah, know, unless right. he's had a change of heart. Yeah. I don't know. I don't think I mean, that happens. you got to wonder how much of that is mental illness and how much of it. Has any yep. choice? Or was there any choice left? Or did he ever have uh, any choice? You know, you know Bill that uh, Go ahead. Uh, the Dr. Robert Hare, one of these uh, experts on this sort of thing. Oh, yeah, on psychopaths, yes. Yeah, and says they are not complex people. People think they're very complex. Yeah. We're going to study their brain. No, they're shallow. It's just they're the shallow opposite. shallow people, yeah. Very shallow. And the reason they keep doing it, it's just like you go to a Chinese restaurant, and it's uh-huh. really good. You like it. It's simple. They tried it. They liked it. They did it again. Yeah, exactly. And they just yep. keep the same play over and over again. They just yep. cast different actors. You know, because you can't true. cast the same actor because you already ate that one. Right. Well, yeah, that's true. That's and so true. they just keep doing the same. Well, it's like, even in your anybody's regular life, is it with imprinting? Is mm-hmm. that the first time you have sex, is mm-hmm. imprints in your brain that you will replicate to some degree or another your first sexual experience the rest of your life? Yeah, yeah, the rest of your life. Yeah. Don't and so it. we don't know what his was, what was yeah. done to him, or whatever. You know, if I found right. a, a Something that hadn't occurred to me, because not everything in the world occurs to me, but we do a lot of this research, you and I both, when we do these mm-hmm. books. Sure. And that is, let's say there's this kid, and he gets uh, sexually assaulted. Mm-hmm. And that's his first sexual experience. Some guy crawls through the window and, and rapes him, right? Right, Now, that's a right. very traumatic and scary experience. And everyone's going, oh, kid, we feel so sorry for you. Yeah, Except, or and, sex is pleasurable. He may have been scared, but it feels good. Yeah. And then he's going to be horribly conflicted, going to be terribly guilty. Yeah. No. And I've had other people confide and say, yeah, people come in, oh, you poor thing, you poor thing. But the thing is, is I liked it. It felt good. I've heard stories where women were raped and did not want to orgasm, but did anyway, because it's just a physiological thing. And yeah, one woman said, "Oh, I just wish, no, I just wish this wasn't happening, and I wouldn't do that." But yeah, I mean, it's just traumatic and right because sex is pleasurable. Then can somebody mix it with something else and maybe get turned around in certain ways? And, well, that's yeah, like the I mean, uh, 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 Angela Rodriguez, uh, the uh, killer in uh, Fred Gerardo in, in my book, A Taste for Murder. Uh-huh. Her grandfather started having sex with her when she was three years old. 
God, and did not so stop horrible. having sex with her until she moved out of his house at age 18 after having two abortions from pregnancies by her grandfather. Then she God, marries a awful. real nice all-American guy, and she's cheating on him because she can't really get off with a nice guy. Yeah. It's got to be unpleasant right. to be pleasant. Right. Right. And that, Isn't that awful? that's a whole pattern. And, you know, just for somebody and her grandfather to do this, I mean, it's unbelievable. But to, to well, I'm glad it didn't occur to you with something to do. <laughs> man, I'll tell you what, it's just, it's, it's, it's just, you know, it's, it's unimaginable. And to think how selfish that is to scar somebody like that just for your own pleasure, where you're going to change their life forever. It's unreal. Oh, but they, but they give them gifts. You only buy them oh, clothes. Oh, they oh, tell them how much they love them. They're their yep. special kid. Yeah. You know, it's, it's so right. twisted. But uh, I've heard the most interesting thing, and, I, and it was so strange. I had to look it up to find out if it was it was just me thought it was weird or what. That uh-huh. it was her sister, her sister said to us, all of the kids were sexually molested by Grandpa. However, uh-huh. with with me and with the other one, she said, he stopped about the time that they usually stop. Well, I didn't uh-huh. know there was a usual time to stop. No, right, right. But I looked it up. She was 100% dead on accurate. If Grandpa's mm-hmm. going to start having sex with the grandkids, he's going to do it for three years and stop. That's when they stop. Wow. They do it for three years. This is the victim's. Or their participants, well, depending. And what age do they start at? Is there a... Well, with her, time? it was about three years old. God. Well, I don't even know how you could do that at three years well, old. Well, they fake it till they make it, you know. Yeah, right. Right. And uh, so with Angie, it was from age three until age 18 with two pregnancies in the process. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, but she wound up with pretty twisted. Though. I mean, she murders her husband. It's alleged mm-hmm. that she murdered her her own child. She insured the kid for uh, seven hundred thousand dollars, and the policy mm-hmm. went into effect the day before the kid uh, supposedly choked to death on a pacifier, and then she sure. sued the pacifier manufacturing company for wrongful death. He got the money there. Yeah, and it's a little highly suspicious. And what, uh, what, where is she now? She's uh, on death row here in California. Okay. Well, that means she'll die there. <laughs> yeah. 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 She'll so wait out the Grim <laughs> Reaper there. She's in the waiting room. Old age. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. Well, she's a overweight. Boy, I don't know what they feed the people in there, but they yeah. get large. Whoa. No I don't know what what they feed wow. them, man, but I'll tell you. It was a pack <laughs> with carbohydrates and calories. She what went in looking like a Playboy model, and now she looks like yeah. Jabba the Hutt. <laughs> That's right. My 600-pound life at show. We oh, yeah, they, they do. Like, and then someone yeah. wrote a, a letter to my publisher complaining that we Why? said that she looked like Jabba the Hutt. <laughs> How about complaining the fact that she murdered her husband by yeah, putting, yeah. you know, uh, uh, right. what is it, uh, uh, poison in his Gatorade, you know, antifreeze. Oh, God. And what 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 book was that, Bill, that you wrote about that? A taste, uh, a taste for murder. That oh, I wrote yeah. with Frank Gerardo. Okay. Uh, in fact, uh, 
there's, there's a new, uh, I guess there's a TV channel. You know, uh-huh. streaming service is called the True Crime Channel. Oh yeah, okay. And they're uh, they're coming here to my lovely abode uh, Monday morning to uh, right. shoot me <laughs> video wise. Oh, there you go. There you go. Yeah. They're doing an episode about Rhonda Glover from uh, my book uh, Fatal Beauty, the one who shot yeah. her boyfriend thirteen times right. with a Glock nine millimeter. Right. Because he believed that it, that he was having sex with clones in a cave under the house. <laughs> now yeah, they didn't let her get, the only thing wrong with that whole thing is that when she started talking about the clones in the cave and all that which yep. she firmly believed at the time they said oh here take these pills and never mention that it's too dangerous so she's yeah. doing 60 years in prison when she should have been doing 60 years in a psychiatric hospital right right because she's not getting any medication in prison Oh, they won't treat her like that? I mean, they won't no, treat they, her they, at all? I got news for you, pal. Uh, you can have all sorts of things wrong with you in prison, and you're not going to get appropriate medical treatment. Yeah, I guess Whether not. It's, uh, that's why they let some prisoners out for uh, medical reasons, you know. Just they got because they let them out. Yeah. You know? Well, I guess they don't want the expense, too, so I guess right. they would let them out. But, yeah, well, before we go, I just want to say, you know, uh, well, they've been really tough and not letting any of these Manson people out. Uh, you, you know, I mean, I, I don't, don't really want to see Tex Watson on the outside, and I don't want to see any of them on the outside. But but I don't think they – who was it? Susan Atkins. She had a – was it cancer or a brain tumor? And yeah. She was absolutely going to die, but they still didn't release her, which I felt no, was a little it's strange. Like for sociopolitical reasons. I think so, uh-huh. yeah. Just yeah. the opposite with uh, uh, the uh, what are their names? Oh, uh, the ones from uh, my book uh, Headshot. Uh, yeah, where they they let out. Well, because the one guy did a great scam on the prosecutor. He says, "I promise to testify against the other two guys if you take the death penalty off the table, and I can apply for a parole." And so. They said, fine, and they signed the deal. And he got up on the stand and said, the other two guys, they didn't do it. I did it all by myself. It was true. He told the truth. He did. He said, I'm 100% responsible, not them, which was true. But he lied to the prosecutor that he was going to testify against them to make that deal. So they couldn't They couldn't negate that deal? No. They'd already signed off on it legally. And so okay. they, he got out. Because uh, he was a model prisoner, and mm-hmm. uh, he got out. Plus, he brought so many people to Jesus, but he left mm-hmm. Jesus in there when he got out. Yeah, he wrote I think a book so. uh, on Odin and uh, Nordic uh, religion uh, for the oh. prison system. And uh, uh-huh. the fellow, the other innocent fellow, that kind of was along for the ride, he wound up getting the worst sentence. He got a medical uh-huh. release, and so the two of them uh-huh. went to their high school reunion. After getting out of prison, hi, what have you guys been doing the past ten years? Yeah, yeah, what have y'all been doing? Oh, we were in prison for murder. <laughs> yeah, my daughter's Uber out. driver today drove like a maniac. He just got out of prison after serving forty years for murder. Oh, but he said, of course, awful. he didn't do it. Yeah, right. <laughs> oh man. <laughs> All right. So it's well, a per- pleasure having you on the show. And really uh, if you ever it, get inspired to write another book about General yep. Custer. <laughs> <laughs> or anybody else, we'll have you back. All right, bro. Good talking to you, Always my friend. A pleasure. All right, man. All right, we'll see you. Again.
Bye-bye. Okay, bye-bye.